I just remember being in the doctor's office that day and they, they did a CT scan. This is day one. And they all, all these doctors all of a sudden rushed in and the doctor came in. I'll never forget. He said, we have potential here for a catastrophic event. And ever since that quote, nothing in my life has been the same. My child has been fighting for his life ever since. And now one time, have I even come close to considering drinking? I know other people are walking through impossible circumstances right now, living in fear, thinking they're alone, and you're not. I know that. I am not alone. I know you're not alone, whatever the listener may be going through. I have purpose in my heart in the worst time of my life. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, hello, my little quarantined friends. That was the voice of Mr. Chris M. that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you will be hearing so much more from him in just a moment. But first things first, this episode... The one you're listening to right here, right now, at this very momento, is brought to you by Victoria, Justin, Deborah, Todd, and Catherine. You know what Victoria, Justin, Deborah, Todd, and Catherine did? Well, they went to our website, thesoberspeak.com, just soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow tab at the upper right-hand corner, and they made a contribution. Thank you very much, Ms. Victoria, Mr. Justin, Ms. Deborah, Mr. Todd, Ms. Catherine. This episode is coming right out to you guys. Muchas gracias. Now there, my folks, is my bilinguality coming right out at you. Now don't be jealous of my bilinguality. God grants that talent to some people and not to others. <laughs> oh my gosh, I've gone off the rails already. Bilinguality, did I just say that? Nonetheless, I, John M., will be the chairperson for this very meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to have all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around the virtual table, and let's get started. So we will be having some special events coming up 
I just got to get it planned out. It's just time, 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 time. Uh, my actual job keeps me uh, pretty darn busy. But nonetheless, uh, we'll have some special events coming up. And the first one that I'm thinking of, keep an eye out uh, via your emails if you're on my email uh, list and uh, our social media sites. That means the secret Facebook group page and Instagram. And uh, I think... We are going to have a Zoom meeting, a live event with Miss Brenda J coming up soon. How's that sound, right? So we can all kind of gander at each other on the, one of them Zoom meetings, and uh, uh, that'll be a lot of fun, won't it? So anyway, I have something coming up, but I just got to get it all planned out. Um, what else do we have going on? As a my, as a re- reminder, not a minder, but a reminder. I, what would a minder? What, what would that be? Nonetheless, a reminder: you can find us on Apple Podcasts, which is formerly known as FKA iTunes, um, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, or wherever. You listen to your favorite podcast, uh, and if you can't remember all of that, just go to our website, SoberSpeak.com, and there's links to all of the aforementioned website, all, all of the uh, aforementioned uh, 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 players, that's what it's called, players, uh, on our website. And if you can't remember any of that, but you know, you say, hey, John, I really don't want to do any of that you just talked about, but I do text. I'm a pretty good texter. All you got to do is text the word sober, S-O-B-E-R, to 31996. It will send you a link to both Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe to the uh, uh, podcast, uh, from the links that we send you. And you also get a chance to provide your email address. If you want to, you don't have to. Uh, and this is where I send out notifications. Like I was just talking about with the, uh, live events we have coming out and we send some other stuff, usually about once a month. We try not to spam you too bad. So once again, you text the word sober S O B not S-O-B, S-O-B-E-R. S-O-B is something completely different. Anyway, text the word sober to 31996. We have had so many people (laughs) join the secret Facebook group over the past couple weeks. And, And I know what it is. People are wanting to Stay connected uh, via some sort of community, and we're so glad that you guys are there. If you're not in the secret Facebook group, you have to be either invited by someone who's in it already, or you just send me your email ad- address associated with your Facebook account with your Facebook account to John J O H N as SoberSpeak com. And we'd love to have you in there. It's not just for alcoholics. It's for, there's Al-Anons in there. There's all kinds of recovery folks in there. Uh, it is a place where you have a bunch of like-minded folks to share with. Um, and we have one of our members in there. Her name is Jenny. In fact, it's the same Jenny L uh, that has been on this podcast before. Excuse me, Jenny yeah, Jenny. Yeah, yeah, Jenny L. I almost forgot. Uh, she's been on this podcast before. She uh, um, did a great episode, and she has aggregated uh, or consolidated all the various information about all these Zoom meetings and remote meetings going around, and she's put them all into one document. Thank you so much, Jenny, for doing all that. 
absolutely fantastic. And uh, it's just kind of a, uh, a cheat sheet. So you don't have to go to all these different places. And she has consolidated all that. Thank you very much. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm at SoberSpeak, all one word. All right. Now on to our episode, and I am going to shift gears here a little. Um, anyway, who we have on today is Mr. Chris R. And we're calling this episode Pray for Bryce. Now, it'll be apparent once we get into the episode while we're calling it Pray for Bryce. But um, Chris is a former radio broadcaster from the Minneapolis, Minnesota area. We we address the progression of alcoholism in his life. We also address the death of his father and how that event kind of eventually launched Chris into a very dark period of his life. Now, you will hear me and Chris talking about on the beginning of this episode, how we came in contact with each other, Chris and I. And uh, to make a long story really short, you will hear about the struggles Chris and his family have experienced over the past several months. And that struggle involves a very, very, very young man named Bryce. Um, and so before I began this episode, I reached out to Chris because I wanted to know how Bryce was doing. And he wrote me back. And by the way, I debated on whether I should put this at the beginning of the episode or the end of the episode, but I thought it just best that you have this going into the episode. And he says... Uh, Hey, John, I think the time for heaven for Bryce is drawing near. We are in full comfort mode with medications keeping him comfortable at home. It was so thoughtful of you to reach out, John. The doctors are thinking that heaven will come within a couple of weeks for Bryce most likely sooner. And I wrote him back and I said, I don't even know what to say. Uh, I, I'm about to record an episode for you and I need a little, I need a title. Do you have any ideas? And uh, I asked him if I could use the title, Pray for Bryce. And he says, that's okay, John. Sometimes words are hard to find. All we ask for is prayers, brother. Those prayers have carried us for a long way. Pray for Bryce sounds like a great fit, John. Very fitting. Bryce, if you happen to be hearing this episode along with your dad and your mom, please know that I and many others are praying for you. God bless you, my little friend. Okay, everybody. So today... We are sitting here with Mr. Chris M. from the Minneapolis, Minnesota area. I believe it's Bloomington. So, Chris, first things first, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, and give your sobriety date if you wish. You bet. John, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, my name is Chris M. Again, you're in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Sober date, February 1st, 2019. All right. So, you just passed. One year sober, my friend. Is that correct? I I did. Can't believe it's already been a year. It's uh, it's been a whirlwind, but it's also been a huge blessing. Is this your first crack uh, in AA? Was have you ever tried before? 
I have tried before. I had four and a half years previous to this and um, just so grateful to be back in the saddle. You know, I, yeah, there's a million reasons why I relapsed and we can talk about that, but it feels so good to have this year. John, it's incredible. Okay, so let me go ahead and give a little bit of backdrop uh, for this, Chris, and how uh, we ended up uh, communicating with each other and why you're on the uh, podcast today. I mean, num- first and foremost, I guess, is that you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and you have a journey in recovery, but I do want to give a little backdrop to that as well, and that is Chris sent me a message uh, last week. And Chris doesn't know anything that I'm about to uh, share with all of you. Um, it was on a, it was either a Friday or a Saturday night. Uh, I was getting ready for a big, uh, a big trip uh, out of town for business. Uh, I had a lot of other things going on. Uh, I was trying to get a podcast produced and get it out. And uh, it was just a very busy uh, weekend. Chris sent me an email, and in the email, uh, he sent me a video of a news clip that that was pertaining to his son named Bryce. And uh, he also sent me a message to go along with it, Um, and maybe we'll get into that more on the second half of this, but uh, after I read the message and after I watched the video, I went into uh, our bedroom and my wife was there and she saw me um, bawling uncontrollably. I was crying my eyes out. Uh, My kids saw me. Uh, They asked me what was wrong. Um, I shared with them a little bit of that story. And um, uh, it really did uh, uh, affect me deeply. And I was really in that particular state for a couple of hours and I thought about it throughout the week. I sent Chris an email back and I asked him if he would like to be on as a guest this week. He graciously agreed to do such. So we're sitting here. So what we're going to do on the front end of this is we're going to cover Chris's story and then we'll cover a little bit more of that uh, letter and the news clip uh, toward the end of this uh, episode. That sound good, Chris? That sounds perfect, John. Okay, so you're in Minnesota. Did you grow up in Minnesota, Chris? I did, yeah. I grew up in a town in Minnesota called Anoka. It's actually the self-proclaimed Halloween capital of the world. (laughs) How do they, and now how do you become a Halloween capital? Does that mean how you dress up your houses and stuff like that? Yeah, you know, I always say it's self-proclaimed. Uh, you just kind of become it over time and they have a Halloween parade and I walked in for years as a kid and yeah, so I'm Minnesota through and through. I don't know if you hear that Northern accent or not, but here I am. I do, Minnesota. I know, up here in Minnesota. <laughs> and so what did you dress up as when you were uh, in the parade? You know, John, my bread and butter was the Power Rangers. Um <laughs> The Red Ranger, for some reason, was my favorite. And <laughs> that was your bread and butter. It was my bread and butter. It was my comfort zone. So I kept doing that pretty much year in, year out. And yeah, some good memories in Anoka. Good. All right. So let's talk about, I guess, uh, 
I mean, what were your high school years like? What was your family like? What was it, you know, when, when did things start to go awry for you? I'm assuming there is some point, there's generally some point that happens for us in the program. You bet, John. Yeah. So honestly, a uh, high school, I partied, I thought was like a relatively normal high school kid. Um, I was kind of the class clown. Everyone loved me. I loved making people laugh. It was a passion of mine. But I didn't do anything out of the ordinary, per se, at least in my eyes. I party on Friday nights, Saturday nights, and, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't get addicted, quote unquote, at least I thought. My father was an alcoholic, and he passed away about six years ago, which we can touch on later. But I thought I was a normal high school guy and didn't have any repercussions necessarily to my drinking and partying in high school. Uh, made it to college, uh, went to a radio school, ironically, in the Twin Cities, a uh, school called Brown College, and did really, really well there. I really didn't drink or party or do anything too out of the ordinary. Actually, I worked really, really hard and had a passion for radio broadcasting. And I got straight A's. I, I got a scholarship. And that paved the way for what anybody would do that graduates college. You move to Esterville, Iowa. Um, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> nobody moves to Esterville, Iowa, but I did. And I was excited. I went down to Esterville, Iowa. And up until that point, John, like I said, I, I thought it was normal. I, I didn't become an alcoholic when I drank like my dad. I didn't have any real repercussions. And actually, that was probably the biggest problem. I didn't really have any problems with my drinking yet, you know. And in college, I actually tapered it back some, like I said. But moved down to Astorville, Iowa. I, I, my parents had just divorced and things kind of, I just wanted to escape. You know, I had a lot of fear growing up. Um, my dad was never abusive, but every night I get home, he'd be sleeping on the couch. And I just thought that was normal. And so by the time I got to the end of my, my schooling and college, I just wanted to get away from up here. In Minnesota, I wanted to go do my own thing. I wanted to go be a success. And my mom is amazing. Um, she put up with my dad for a lot of years and all the problems that alcoholism can bring. And I just got out on my own. I went down to Iowa and I, I started doing sales and radio. I, I had my own show. Uh, was what kind sports. of show was it? Um, so it's small market radio. It, it was a country station in Northern Iowa. Mm -hmm. And I did the bulletin board in the morning, which is just talking about local events and activities going on. I mean, just classic radio, right? Mm -hmm. You don't get a lot of that anymore. And that's why I love small market radio, maybe someday, right? But, um, and so I did the weather, I did sports play by play at nights. I, I covered the state championships for football at the University of Northern Iowa found some success. I was selling for those broadcasts. And for those who don't know, you have commercials and you sell those. And I sold a lot. And I got really good at sales. Really, really good. So much so it was like breaking records for this little station. And I remember thinking I was the bee's knees. I thought, you know, obviously I look back now and I see pride. I see the world, um, at my fingertips. And I, all of a sudden I had a large income and I, I wasn't used to that. I was like, Whoa, 
I can do really, really good things all on my own. No credit to God, no credit to anything besides me. And John, honestly, it starts kind of subtly, you know, that alcohol, it just, it's a subtle foe in the beginning. For me, it was, I just honestly would go home at night after a ball game or, you know, after a sale or after work and go home, buy a bottle, just have a few at night. That's harmless, right? Mm -hmm. Relatively harmless, you'd think, but that's literally how it started. You know, you see that picture that goes around online where it's like a bottle and you see a fish hook in it. And that's honestly kind of what I think of when I started drinking. And slowly but surely, I'm drinking every night. And I would go to work in the morning, bright and early, to do the bulletin board and the other programming. And my morning guy would say, You reek. And this all kind of started, I started needing more alcohol. And but a normal person in that situation, when confronted, say, maybe I should just not do that anymore. For me, I'm like, maybe some gum, maybe drinking a little earlier in the night, maybe not as late. And I should have known right there, <laughs> okay, probably have a problem. But I adapted and I continued to drink. <laughs> adapted. Path of, yeah, I adapted. And I'm, whatever. And the addiction was just getting deeper inside me. You know what I mean? And things get go south in a hurry. Again, the success is still happening. Uh, I'm doing good um, in terms of my sales. My show's doing well. Everything was going good for a long time. But eventually, it goes so south that there was really no turning back. I then started to get hospitalized. I mean, it was, it was fairly quick. I know it was an eight-year duration, but... It was daily, John, daily drinking. And I hope the listeners of this know, I mean, you need more. You need more. Yeah, the half pint doesn't do it anymore. The progression. Exactly. They talk about that a lot. And um, it progressed into the point. It was always this vodka for me, not to trigger anybody. But it was never normal drinking at night. It was always just straight alcohol and Gatorade chaser. Gatorade that's, chaser. That's a new one for me. Yeah. You got to stay hydrated, John. <laughs> I mean, come on, you know, you got to stay hydrated when you're slamming so much straight liquor and never once did I really contemplate quitting. So I go to the hospital several times and eventually I, I just wake up one day and I say, I, I don't want to go to treatment, but I know if I don't go to treatment, something's going to change. I'm going to get fired or it's all kind of coming to a head. And this is uh, a hard time, but I know that if I don't go to treatment, I might get fired. So for to appease everybody in my life, I think the next hand is to, to be played is to go to treatment to appease. So I go to treatment for 30 days at a small treatment center and learn nothing. Um, I probably learned something, but I didn't want to learn it. I got out of the treatment center and I drank the first day mm. and this is, you know, I don't know, years ago now, but you know, this is, it just, I wasn't willing. They talk about willingness, John, so much. And I, I wasn't willing to give it everything I had in me to quit. I wasn't at that point yet. 
So I get out of treatment. I continue to drink. I fake it for a long time. I adapt and they don't smell it on me as badly. But again, the progression comes back. My drinking gets so bad that my boss at the radio station, who's still like a dad to me today, um, reached out to my family and is like, this kid's he's going to die. I don't know if you know how bad it's got. My mom had no clue. Um, the goal was always to hide, put up the front, smile to my mom on the phone. And it gets so bad that eventually my dad hears and my parents, you know, had been divorced at this point. Like I'd said, they got divorced right when I moved down to Iowa. And my dad gets in touch with me. And at this point, he's sober. So my dad had gotten sober. He had found the Lord. He found his faith. And eventually he says, I'm coming down. I'm coming down. I, you're, you're killing yourself. And so he's down in Iowa with me and I'm still drinking daily and no real intention of quitting. I, I don't even know if I'm capable of quitting at this point. Uh, I hadn't really considered going to AA and the treatment center didn't work. And my dad just keeps pouring love into me. And all of a sudden, it's so ironic. My dad's not drunk anymore, but I am. And he's like, I love you. I get it. I understand. And I'm like, who is he? He's so loving, so caring. So you sense the change in him? Yes. It was apparent. He had dwindled physically significantly. He was a Vietnam veteran. Agent Orange had done its work and his breathing, you know, wasn't very good, but he is just there. And then I loved having him down there so much, even though I wasn't intending to quit yet. I asked him to move down permanently because he had real no family up in the Twin Cities. And I said, come on down Northern Iowa. You know, it's just like the Bahamas without the, the water and the beaches. And I'm, was, know, it and uncom- like, was it uncomfortable though? Because he's down there to sober you up, but you're still doing daily drinking. Yeah, it was definitely uncomfortable. It's like you led right into this perfectly. We didn't talk about this before the show. You led perfectly into this, John. Um, so he's living with me. And eventually I'm like, I can't drink as much as I want to. This breaks my heart. But I, I asked him to move out to an apartment down there. And I see it now, and I really haven't spoke to people. I've shared my story in my first round of sobriety a couple of years ago. But that breaks my heart to say that. So he did move to an apartment down there, and he still maintained um, a loving dad-like relationship in my life despite my struggles. But he moved out to an apartment. My thing continues. And in total, while I was down there, I went to about eight, hosp- eight hospital visits. Uh, both before treatment, following that treatment. My dad really couldn't do much of anything. There was a, a customer I had as an advertiser. It was a church. And I found them in the newspaper, the local newspaper. I reached out to the church and met with them, of course, wanting them to advertise. If they're paying the newspaper, they'll pay us, I thought. And I met with them. And I this pastor at this church is still a friend of mine today. and. They signed up to do a year long of advertising. So again, my dad's living down there in a separate apartment. This church is signing up to advertise with me. And I start attending church there because you want to keep your clients happy. And so I go there on Sunday. (laughs) It's so alcoholic of me. (laughs) Right. 
<laughs> oh, buddy. Um, and this church, though, they, they welcomed me in. They could smell alcohol on me on Sunday mornings, and they loved me. They loved me. And I, I didn't know why. I felt so gross and disgusting. And I, I, I wanted to trust Jesus or the Lord, you know, my higher power at that point, but I wasn't really willing to do anything about it. And so this, this church and this pastor is now one of my best friends. He's now in the Twin Cities, by the way. And at the time, he was just pouring into me. And I'm, I'm just doing my thing. I'm barely surviving. And uh, one night after a tournament basketball game, it was against a school called Okaboji, I remember. And I got done with the tournament basketball game. And I, I went to go to my dad's apartment. I slammed a couple of shooters in the elevator on the way to his room. This is pretty tragic. But I got to his room, and he was on the floor. And my dad had a heart attack. Mm. And I checked on him. And he kept saying, I just want to stay on the floor. I just want to stay on the floor. Leave me here. I'm fine. I'm like, I can't. I can't. Dad, I can't. And then eventually he stops responding. I pick him up and I put him on the bed because he had fallen on the floor. And eventually he's not responding to me like I'd said. And his eyes roll in the back of his head. I'm like, okay, that's it. I got I to gotta call 911. So I call 911 and my father passes away that night. And this is, I don't think about it a lot now. I, don't, I haven't shared it in a while. I haven't really shared since being sober this last year much. Um. That was several years ago now, you know, like seven years. Um, and it was just so debilitatingly crushing. I got wasted that night. Dad died. And I just went off to the races. My boss wouldn't fire me. He loved me too much. He wouldn't fire me, John. I still don't get it. So my dad's gone. And like I said, I, I do what I do. I drink and I don't care anymore. I don't care about the effects or the problems. You know, and then I, I can't believe this next checkpoint. I start going to psych wards. John, I, I went to two psych wards down there. And I just remember how terrifying it was. They had to bring me in a cop car. The court ordered it. And like those, those cuffs that are on your wrists and that go down to your ankles. And I'm like, I hate my life so much. Hate it. I'm in the psych ward. And of course, some of my friends down there, farmers, ironically, in Iowa, who would have thought, they come and pick me up. And my boss tells me, well, actually, then I call my boss and I say, I'm willing to go to another treatment. And he says, it has to be this, I won't mention it, but it has to be this Christian treatment. My, my boss was a big believer in the Lord. It's a year-long program. It's in Iowa. He says, if you go to the program and come back, I'll take you back. And I'll love you just the same. I love you no matter what. Is that crazy? This guy became a dad to me. Excuse me. And so I went. <laughs> After all that, I went to this treatment center. It was driving me insane. I didn't have a real faith at this point in a higher power. Three months into it, I leave. I, I hated it so much. I was not willing. I was not ready. Despite all the things I'd been through, 
And it's crazy, John, but I left after three months. I had that successful gig. I had a really cool car, a really nice place I was living, despite all this crap I'd gone through. And I said, I don't care. I can't do this for a year. These Christians are crazy, I thought. And I left. They, be- they gave me a bus ticket, the treatment center, and I had $8 in my pocket, and I proceeded to get drunk. <laughs> wow. It's crazy. And I come up to, back to Esterville, back in northern Iowa, Esterville Arms, it's all in northern Iowa, these cities. And I have no choice really at that point. My boss isn't going to take me back. He said I had to be there for a year. And I moved back to Anoka, Minnesota, to my grandma's basement. I had arrived. Mm-hmm. Boy, I ran my life into the ground. Do you know that feeling? I do. Ran it into the ground. Dad's gone. I'm still an alcoholic. I'm walking across the street, across Highway 10 to get more alcohol in the mornings because it opens up at 8 with quarters. My mom won't give me my card, my money. (laughs) It's just so bad. And, you know, miracles start to happen, John. I hadn't done AA at that point or anything. And I'll start to land the plane here in a second. But I remember on September 20th, 2014, I'm on my grandma's patio. I say, I don't want to do this anymore. What if I can, what if I just stop doing this? It's like, I'd never thought of it that way. Um, I, can I mention treatment centers by name? Oh, you probably do you don't prefer- need to. Yeah. Okay. So. I called a treatment center, a really, really good one. And they got me in like that day. It's like, it just clicked with me. I, I, I cried out with these bunch of trees in my face out the back porch. I slammed a half pint and I said, that's the last one I'm ever going to have. Lord, if you're real, help me. I don't even know how to do this. I said, God, just do something. I can't live my life. I've destroyed my life. I can't live. I checked in and it's like, that was one of the biggest checkpoints in my life. I went to the treatment center and I started to really learn about AA. I started to learn about my faith. I became a Christian. I accepted the Lord. That's what works for me. And these 12 steps became so cool. I remember walking around every day. I was memorizing scripture from my Bible. I was digging into every book I could. And I was so hungry. I was in there for 90 days. I learned so much from my counselor. I learned so much from my brothers in there. I still have some friends today from that time period. That was back in 2014. And I got out and I, John, I, I was free and I, I didn't feel like drinking. It's like a miracle happened, I thought, you know? Right. So, in fact, I'd recently talked to Adam T. on this uh, on one of our other episodes, and he was talking about how we all need that, uh, what you call, act of providence, and how and when and why and where that comes into play is a mystery still. 
All right, we'll be continuing our conversation with Mr. Chris in just a moment. But just a reminder, you were listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. There you can find uh, over 120 other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website if and only if the spirit moves you to use it. You can do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Chris. All right, so here you are. You're getting out of treatment. You're For the first time, you're kind of paying attention, so to speak. Uh, you yeah. are... Oh, you're 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 paying attention to all the spiritual connections around you. You are uh, you're starting to study and get into the big book and the twelve steps. So take me from there. You bet. So I start having fun genuinely for the first time, not caring about money, um, going to AA meetings free. I was like living free for the first time in my life. Um, I was disappointed. I lost my radio thing. But I started wanting to help other people. I started attending AA meetings. I actually, at that point in my life, um, started a very, very small nonprofit because I was so hungry for recovery. Um, I started mailing materials to people wherever they were for free. I just mailed people Bibles. Um, I had these things that were called uh, grace kits. And I was genuinely excited about life. Uh, a year into it, I was working AA um, with a sponsor. I was doing everything that was told of me. And so I thought, you know, I'm free now. AA is really changing my heart. And so I really hadn't had a girlfriend for a long time. And I thought, I think I'm well enough. Um, even at that time, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. So I went on a, a dating website uh, a year into my recovery. They say to wait a year. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, yeah, <laughs> right. They say wait, and I, I probably right. would. And you it. actually followed directions. I'm, I know. Uh, I'm impressed. The That's second true. time in my life, probably following directions. And um, my, my second date, I met who I'm married to today, hmm. uh, an amazing woman named Christine. Um, amazing. Chris and Christine, huh? Yep. Yeah, I know. Her parents actually have the same name too, but I'll try to keep this anonymous as possible. But <laughs> it's really weird. So yeah, um, I marry her and we're on fire for our faith in Christ and boy, things are just really good at this point. It's back like in 2017. And when we get married, this woman's just amazing. She's the best thing in the world to this day. I cannot tell you, I can't do this without her. Um, when we get married, we decide, you know what, instead of a honeymoon, let's go on a missions trip. Let's, let's go spread our hope and joy with other people. And so we went to Egypt. Um, and this woman was just incredible. Her parents led this missions trip over there. So we were like, let's go with them. And we we're going into villages and I'm sober. I'm not even thinking about alcohol. Here I am with Middle Eastern folks with like AKs that are our bodyguards going into villages. I'm like, I'm scared of flying. How did I get here? <laughs> this is terrifying if I was drinking. I would be so scared, and but I wasn't. 
and we got to meet a couple of the kids we sponsor over there in the villages. And boy, we are so blessed here, John, in this country, mm-hmm. even amid the struggles right now. We're boy, I have a bed to sleep in. I, I'm so grateful now. But anyway, we do that and we get back and life continues. And I, I something starts to happen to me though. I I don't really do AA anymore because I start to get through my head that I'm healed. And there's a fine line there, right? I know I'm new in my faith. I'm a new creation, they say. And yeah, that's it's it's true. I am a new creation, but I it doesn't mean that I can go back to drinking. I'm new, yes, but I still have that thorn in my side, that that challenge of drinking and I start to think to myself, well, I could buy a half pint, right? That's not going to hurt anything. Mm-hmm. I'm new. I'm a, I'm a believer. I, I can go back and, and slowly but surely I'm, I'm really successful again in a different industry and things are back. Um, I ran a, I don't want to give away my anonymity, but I ran a very large campaign of fundraising around the holidays. That has something to do with a bell. And I ran a very, very successful campaign for that. And I thought, you know, I had everything back, John. Although the, I was successful, um, I had a wife, cars that were paid for, a house. We found out my wife was pregnant. So I found out my wife was expecting back um, in 2017, right at the end of the year. And again, I had everything you could possibly want. Um, things looked great. And so I remember though, big growing like way too complacent. Like I said, I wasn't doing AA anymore. I thought I was kind of healed and um, alcohol wouldn't hurt me anymore. My wife got ready to go on a trip eventually with her sisters. I thought about drinking now up to this point. You know, John, they say you relapse before you take the, the drink, right? I thought so many times about going to the liquor store and buying just a half pint. And my relapse came when my wife went on this trip, gone for like 10 days in Alaska. And I remember I'm all alone. No one's going to know anyway. It had built up over probably like a five-month period of me kind of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And I went and bought the bottle and by myself, and I slammed it. Um, The relapse wasn't even normal. Like None of this was like a normal drinker. I wasn't healed. I bought a half pint and slammed it in a bathroom. Just curious, had you been going to AA meetings during this period? No, I stopped. I grew complacent like every department in my life. My spirituality was gone. It just slowly went away. Mm-hmm. It just kind of evaporated. I, when I look back on it, I wasn't really passionate. The fire I had for that missions trip and mailing people spiritual materials, speaking at churches. I was doing a lot of really cool stuff, but I slowly stopped doing all of that. It's like the passion and the fire was gone. AA was nowhere to be seen because mm-hmm. I wasn't looking anymore. And... So you know how it goes. She comes back from her trip and um, I continue drinking. I started doing it daily. I never thought I'd go back to daily drinking. Boy, did I ever. I started buying two half pints instead of one. And I would slam those in my bathroom to hide. 
um, so no one would see me. And yeah, this goes on for, boy, five or six months. I'm getting more nervous. I'm getting more paranoid. I put on a lot of weight. I'm throwing up in the morning. I'm turning on the bathroom fan, trying to hide it from me. She's not, she never seen me drunk before. She didn't know that me. And all of a sudden, she's just like, what's wrong? She didn't know what was wrong with me. I was always sick. Couldn't mm-hmm. go to family functions. You know? And eventually, we get to the part now where my son is set to be born. <laughs> I relapsed right like before he was set to come into the world. And I was so scared, I remember getting ready for his birth, knowing the state I was in, but no one else knew I was in because I was hiding it from everybody. It was so secretive. So eventually, my, my wife's concern, our marriage isn't doing the best anymore. It's, I'm, just, I'm just mad all the time. And eventually, December 1st, 2018 comes, like two weeks after her due date, she gives birth to my son. And his name is Bryce. And I just remember wanting to drink, um, hurting really bad, and wishing I never relapsed. And so... I guess this should be a joyous time, and there you are. Hurting. I had everything you thought you would ever want. But John, no, I continued to drink. And then... Eventually, you know, for another couple months after his birth, we're holding it together as a family, but we're not. We are, but we're not. Kind of, we're struggling. She's like, what's wrong with Chris? I want the guy I married again. And eventually, one night, it all comes to a head. Eventually, she just says to me, I smell something on you. And I'm like really mad and I'm all over the place. And then I'm like, now is as good as time as any. Honey, I've been drinking again. I'm falling apart at the seams. I cannot do this on my own. I am, I want to be done this. I, I just, it got too much, John. I couldn't carry the weight anymore. And I remember the freedom I had and even just telling her that. And I, I was real drunk and I said, you know, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I want to be a dad. I want to be a father. I want to be a husband. And I go back. About two days after that, my wife helps me get back into the treatment center that helped change my life about four and a half years previous to this. And it's a lot harder now because there's a lot more on the line. You know, this is a year, just beyond a year ago from where we're sitting now. That was February 1st. And I go in there so scared. I'm like, how can I leave now? I have a newborn. I have a wife who's taking care of the newborn. She's just set to go back from her maternity leave. I'm like, how can I do this? But I know if I don't, I'm a real bad drinker, John. I wasn't going to quit unless I seriously like was away from it. I, I physically needed it so bad, you know? And the hardest thing and the best thing I ever did, at least one of the best things I ever did was go back to treatment as a 12-step program, AA. It was really, really scary and really hard because the first time I went in, I it was it was just me on the line. And now I have my wife and son on the line here. 
if I was to have continued drinking, I knew what I would give, get out of life and it wouldn't be a good being a good dad and it wouldn't be being a good husband. So this time I go in for 21 days because that's all insurance would cover. And plus I knew the, the routine a little bit, but I was invested from day one. I wanted it again. I'm a slow learner. I have a thick skull and I'm very selfish. Welcome to the club. Yeah. It's a good club to be in. Not really, but sort of. I love the AA community because we can laugh at stuff like that. You know, <laughs> we can laugh at our faults. It feels good to be real again. I'm only a year in here, a year and a month, whatever it is now. And I still, I don't want to call it the pink cloud, but I feel rebirth in my heart. Being sober this year has been the greatest thing ever. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. And I've gotten through some of the most impossible circumstances so far you can possibly fathom. Because I'm plugged. I go to AA all the time. And I like to go. I shared the gospel with the woman at the gas station the other day. I'm, not, I'm doing things that I wasn't doing in my drinking. I feel like I'm living another life, a new, better life. I'm sharing hope with people. I'm, I'm, we're connected to an amazing church. It's like eight minutes from our house, and they've carried my family through a large problem that we'll talk about here in a minute. I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, so, so let's talk about that video that you sent over you bet. Um, that I started the episode with. It involves your son. Like you said, your son's name is Bryce. Why don't you go ahead and describe the situation, what you found out, when you found out, and kind of update the listeners here. You bet. So the video I'd sent you was related to the to my son, Bryce, who I was talking about. Um, my son, Bryce, is uh, over a year old now. He's about 15 months old. And um, my son, back in September, out of nowhere, was diagnosed with ETMR brain cancer. Um, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was sober less than a year at that point, And um, it was the hardest thing. I'll try to sum this up as quick as I can. Basically, ever since September 23rd of this, of, of this year, everything's changed for us of last year. It's been like the craziest five, six-month battle you could possibly ever go through. He's had three major brain surgeries trying to get this tumor, four rounds of chemo, and somehow he's still alive. It's a miracle to a certain degree that he's still around. Each surgery... He shouldn't have made it through. Um, there was more tumor than brain the first surgery. Mm. And all we knew going into it was he has an earache or whatever. It was hard to detect. I know it sounds crazy, but you don't want a pediatrician who says, we think this is brain cancer, obviously. You, you do your due diligence. I just remember being in the doctor's office that day and they they did a CT scan. This is day one. And they all, all these doctors all of a sudden rushed in. And the doctor came in. I'll never forget. He said, we have potential here for a catastrophic event. And ever since that quote, nothing in my life has been the same. My child has been fighting for his life ever since. And now one time, have I even come close to considering drinking? Which I know is not of me. I consider that the Lord's strength and I consider that a miracle of AA. 
I haven't even thought about it. That's the weird thing. I've had so many opportunities. I'm still only a year out. So I, I know all the, I've had so many chances to drink here at my house by myself to go to my house and just drink John, but I haven't. My community has been incredible. There's a, there's an Alano club, like seven minutes from my house, which I'll be going to tonight again. I'm sure my story for the, well, second, this is the first time this year, but the second time I'll be sharing it at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. Hmm. I'm not going to hide. I know other people are walking through impossible circumstances right now, living in fear, thinking they're alone, and you're not. I know that. I am not alone. I know you're not alone, whatever the listener may be going through. I have purpose in my heart in the worst time of my life. Um, my son is touching people's lives around the world. I'm seeing miracles happen. Talk people. about that a little bit. What do you mean? It's like I, they, I, I know from that video what you're talking about, but explain that to yeah. the listeners and what you so, mean. With all that being said, thanks for landing the plane for me because I can get pretty excited. But I sent you a video and the, that video pertains to a bucket list that my wife and I decided to do uh, with my son, Bryce. Not at Bryce's expense, but with Bryce. So I'd say about a month ago, the doctors came in and told us that there is no hope. We can't get it. We did another scan. There's more. The tumor's grown back slightly. There's, there's no hope. So, And by no hope, you mean that he is going to pass away. He's going correct? to pass away. That's correct. They told us that about a month and a half ago. And it's not that I'm a robot about this, but I just don't have a whole lot of tears left. And with that being said, we, uh, we decided, I looked at my wife a couple days into that um, and said, I'm sick of living in fear over this. His counselor high enough. He's healthy with obviously minus the cancer. I said, let's go live. Let's just go do it. I'm not talking about going like to the, like the Rocky Mountains and summoning the thing. I'm not talking about, let's just go to the Mall of America. Let's go to Underwater World there. Let's go to the Children's Museum. Let's go to the Railroad Museum in St. Paul, Minnesota. Let's see. Let's get them to smile. Let's go do things that normal families would do with their son at this age. And let's do them not at Bryce's expense. Let's do them for like a half hour to an hour at a time. Once a day. Maybe twice a week. We're not going to like jump out of an airplane with Bryce on my chest and say, you know, bucket list. Woo. It's not like that. Let's just go make some memories that most people get to have with their kid, you know, that we're simply not going to have. We started doing these things and all of a sudden this miracles happen. Children's hospital has been so good to us. Um, people in the community, the church has been incredible. AA incredible. People have donated so much to my family. I, I literally don't even have words. My wife and I haven't been working the last month and a half to two months. When you, know, when you get news like that, you have to make a choice. And we made a choice and we're going to spend every second with Bryce. At any cost. I don't care if I lose it all. If I'm all in for my faith, who cares? 
All he needed is food and water. You know, I was really all in again. <laughs> but the crazy part, he's provided for all of it. I haven't worried about money one time. Our hospital bill's got to be like $3 million. It's, <laughs> I saw a couple of them like early on and I was like, oh my gosh. But our insurance has covered the whole thing. Um, Bryce's donations have come in online, uh, prayers from around the world. It's been absolutely mind-blowing. Bryce had a WCCO news story done on his bucket list because it was starting to gain some steam, and that's fine. I want to encourage people through impossible circumstances because I know I'm not doing this by myself. I know I can't get through this by myself. And I tried to do that in life, and it doesn't work for me. My son is a miracle, John. He's such an amazing young man. He's always smiling. I'm seeing hair growing now on his head for the first time in my life. You don't look at things the same way anymore, you know. I could go on forever. I'm just saying I see miracles where people see pain. Don't, I cry, but I just, I'm, that kid's going to know joy. That kid is going to know joy, I promise you. Um, that's my goal. And to be a rock for my wife. And not drink. <laughs> That's my list today. Love right. God, love wife, love uh, Bryce. No drink. There you go. <laughs> That's a good list. Keep it simple, right. they say, right? And keeping it simple. Yes. Uh, so, my friend, um, I'm sure you hear this all the time. I don't have the words. I mean, I, 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 I feel for you. I love you as a brother, um, as a friend. Um, for you and your family, my prayers and thoughts are with you. Parents all throughout the land are going to be going, oh, I don't know what I would be able to do in that situation, but I just want you to know that uh, I and we, the Silverspeak audience, are thinking about you. And uh, um, I, like I said, I, I, I just don't have the words, but... Uh, um, I really, really appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story with us. It's my pleasure, John. And I'm going to do a shameless plug for you. You have encouraged me a lot this last year. I listen to you when I'm showering, getting ready. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to be on Silver Speak someday. And gosh, you gave me the opportunity. I'm so grateful. And I want other people to be encouraged. That's my objective. That's it. And if that, if that happens today, you gave me that chance. So thank you. Time is not a commodity that's free. It comes and it goes. So thank you for the time. I hope other people will look at time differently today. That's my hope. God bless you. I'm going to read from uh, chapter 11, page 164 of the big book here real quick to close it out. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Chris, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, my friend, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, John. Have a great day, man. Thank you, Mr. Chris. And as you said, time is not a free commodity. It comes and it goes. 
And I think that's a good reminder for us, all of us, living in these uncertain times. God bless you. God bless your bride. And God bless Bryce. If you guys want to look up Bryce, uh, I believe it's a hashtag pray for Bryce on Instagram. You can find him there. I'll try to provide some updates as soon as I have them. All right. Now, on to a little listener feedback from you guys, the listeners. Joe writes in and Joe says, hello, John M. I found out about Sober Speak my first week in recovery by just looking it up on iHeartRadio. I'm on my second month of sobriety and your podcast I listen to all day while painting keeps me grounded between meetings and practicing my other AA principles. Thank you, Joe, owner of such and such painting. Joe is out there painting. So I'm kind of imagining this right now. Uh, maybe, Joe, if you're listening right now, you could be going an up and down stroke. Possibly you could go be going a back and forth stroke. Maybe you're pouring that paint from the can into the little bucket thing that you, you know, you, you put the roller in. Uh, possibly you're cleaning some brushes. Who knows? But Joe, I appreciate you listening. Jackie writes in and Jackie says, Hi, John. I have recently been introduced to your podcast. I am loving it. I would love to be a part of this secret Facebook community. Please invite me. I am a nurse sober for four years. I am in need of socializing. Our AA groups have decided to stop meeting for now due to the pandemic. My disease does not go away. Hey, that's a good way to put it, Jackie. My disease does not go away. So I am looking for a consistent community to join. Thank you, Jackie D. Well, Jackie D, come on down into the Super secret Facebook group. We are so glad you're in there. Liz writes in. She says, hi, John. My name is Liz. My sober date is 10 for October 4th of 2006. I am from Marblehead, Mass, and I love your podcast. I have two grown sons who have both served in the United States Marine Corps Corps. I'm a dental hygienist, and I love to go to meetings, uh, and and work with others. This podcast has given me has given me so much to think about and to share about at meetings with my newcomers. Please keep it going. Exclamation point, exclamation point. Love, Liz. Well, I tell you what, Liz, how about I keep it going and you keep a listening? Is that a deal? All right. Michelle DMs me on the IG for you non-cool people. That is direct messaging me on Instagram. And she says, oh, John, (laughs) exclamation point, exclamation point. She says, thank you again for Bill C. And that's the uh, preview. Uh, no, no, no. Two episodes ago from this one. But anyway, uh, I'm in the middle of it's episode number 125 on step three. Uh, and I have been practicing the AA principles to the best of my ability over 17 years. And I have never had the privilege of hearing this perspective. Or maybe I wasn't ready to receive this part, this particular part of the message. Hmm. Yes, Michelle, they say when the student is ready, the teacher will 
appear. Anyway, she says, I am inspired, exclamation point. Your podcast and guests do not disappoint, exclamation point. They continue to keep me living in the solution, even in these unprecedented times where the world itself is living in fear. I can relate. Laugh out loud. I am so grateful for this virtual sober resource and connection to the real live HP higher power at work in all of our lives today. Keep on keeping on John exclamation point. Your gift is valuable. Well, thank you. Oh, and a big little heart, big blue heart. Thank you, Miss Michelle. Well, in my estimation, your gift and your giving to me is even more valuable. Thank you so much. Barry from across the pond in London town says, thank you, John. Best wishes to you and everyone in the U.S. And a big shout out to Texas. Well, thank you, Barry. Uh, And he says, London Barry in lockdown. Well, I guess they're in lockdown in the U.K. as well. Glad you're here, Barry, and thanks for reaching out again. RJ writes in, and RJ, the the subject of this particular email was COVID-19 and sober speak. I never imagined I would receive an email entitled COVID-19 and sober speak. I didn't even know what COVID-19 was until just recently. Anyway, RJ says, hey, John. I entered the rooms for the third time on March 16th. I found a sponsor on the first day and I had intended on complete, I had intended on completing yet another 90 and 90, but COVID-19 has other plans for me. What's a newbie to do? Question mark. Well, fortunately, he says, I am familiar with the power of podcasts and located your feed on Podcast Addict. (laughs) That's a podcast player. There's some sort of irony in that. I I don't know what it is listening to Sober Speak on Podcast Addict, but nonetheless. Since March 21st, I have queued up one of your speakers, plugged in my earbuds and get an hour walk on the sunny sidewalks of Palm Bay, Florida while getting, while attending a virtual meeting. So let me say this. If you are in Palm Bay, Florida, and you see a guy walking down the sunny sidewalks of the street with some earbuds in his ears, just think now he may be listening to sober speak. In fact, you could test him out saying, Hey, RJ, and see what he says. If he says, what the hell are you talking about? You'll know he is not the guy listening to the sober speak podcast. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, he says, RJ continues on. I also talk to my sponsor daily, read the AA lit and spend time rekindling my relationship with my higher power. Thank you for taking time to produce sound AA meetings with great messages. Also, I would truly appreciate access to your super secret Facebook group, but my Facebook account is, my Facebook email is such and such, warm wishes RJ. Well, thank you, RJ, and I'm so glad to see you in the super secret Facebook group. Kath D writes in and Kath says, thank you, John, for the amazing service you do. 
Well, thank you, Kathy. Uh, and she says, I always recommend your podcast. It has helped me through the very start of my recovery, how things have changed for me over the last year. I'm really appreciating the fellowship around me at the moment. I am, I am especially grateful right now as I am able to be present for my children and make the best of being at home. Oh, that is great. I, I mean, Oh man, that touches me. AA has helped me to keep things in the day. The simplest piece of advice, but it just works with everything. I hope you and your family stay safe and well. All the best, Kath. Well, Kath, right back at at right back at you. I hope you and your family are staying safe as well. Chaplain Mary. Kay writes in, we're getting highbrow here. We got, we got chaplains writing in. And Chaplain Mary Kay says, Dear John, my name is Chaplain Mary Kay and I am an alcoholic. I found the rooms of AA nearly three years ago and my life has changed. I have a sponsor. I work the steps and I now sponsor other women. My, women. my life has changed in so many ways, and I am grateful. Will you please add me to the secret Facebook group? And she gives me her email address, and she says, I have been listening to your podcast since the very first episode. Oh, wow. You've been listening to a lot of uh, uh, podcasts. I used to have a very long commute to work. So listening was ideal for me in helping me stay sober as I couldn't make many meetings. Your guests have given me so much wisdom and I have been able to pass along some of the more memorable sayings such as AA in the episode, AA is my God with skin on and Quote, there are only two wills, God's will and my will, and God's will is not the problem. <laughs> I think that's Gary Kay. Yeah. And then she goes on, she says, I love Gary Kay, big capital letters. That's why I did it like that. She says, I love his voice. I love his AA wisdom. When you said he frequents the Facebook page, I knew I had to get in touch with this online group. I love Brenda J and her share, but my all-time favorite is Renee, a Renee E with the episode AA is my God with skin on her share and my story have had many similar points. And I found the willingness to surrender more of my private struggles to God. Very nice. If the travel bans are ever listed, lifted, uh, and I find myself in Texas, I will be sure to hit a meeting in your area. Well, come on down, Mary Kay. Until then, thank you uh, for your service to us. Thank you for helping to keep me sober one day at a time. Sincerely, Mary Kay in Chico, California. Well, I'm glad you wrote in Mary Kay, Chaplain Mary Kay, and thanks for all the kind words. And I passed your feedback on to both Gary Kay and Brenda and to Miss Renee, and they were all very appreciative. They love to hear this stuff. So if anybody else wants to write in with feedback regarding one of the speakers, I would love to hear it. All right. Victoria writes in and she says, Hi, John, I found your podcast last summer while looking for podcasts on AA and sobriety. My sobriety date is June 3rd of 2015. And I live in Richmond, Virginia. 
Virginia. Anyway, she says, I really enjoy all of your speakers and they are very touching and motivating. Grounds me and quote snaps, unquote, my thinking back to where it should be. It reminds me I am not in control. We all need that reminder, Miss Victoria. What a gift we have. Oh, you are also right, Miss Miss Victoria. Thank you for sharing your meetings between meetings. So essential now since we cannot attend them in person. Victoria M. Well, I'm glad that we can act as a, a filler, a buffer, uh, some sort of meeting between the meetings. Uh, hopefully we will all be able to get back to meetings pretty soon. I know folks are missing them. Bill P. writes in from Waukesha, Wisconsin. And I happen to know Mr. Bill P. And he writes in, he says, John, back in the early 80s, my drinking was slowly destroying me and my teaching career. Many Sunday evenings, I would try to drink enough to dull the emotional pain, but not to the point that I would become nervous and and a hungover wreck teaching the sixth graders. Often, in the last year of drinking, I missed the mark. Imagine that. <laughs> I know that feeling. Consequently, consequently, I was not in the best shape on Monday morning. In order to give myself some time to get over the shakes and anxiety, I would spend the first 30 minutes of the class having the kids, having the kids share, what did they do over the weekend? A great way to stall for time. The sixth graders would share the usual stories of times with siblings, parents, and grandparents, and perhaps some of their weekend trips. This was an effective way to slow Slowly prepare for a shaky Monday of teaching. There was a boy named Billy that quite often shared with the class and his dad had a birthday party over the weekend. After sharing the same story numerous times during the first semester, I asked him why his dad had so many birthday parties. Without any hesitation, he announced to the class that his father was in Alcoholics Anonymous and that his dad and his friends were were celebrating one year, five years, or 10 years without drinking. I really knew little about AA at the time, and I was sure I was not a candidate for the AA program. After all, I had once quit for a year, but then started again and never drank alcohol and never drank at school. I couldn't be an alcoholic. No problems with my employer or the legal system. One year later, I was in the throes of alcoholism, hardly able to effectively teach or be in any social situations. My only plan then was staying in my home most of the time and eating Snickers, <laughs> almost nonstop as an alternative to drinking. I called young Billy's father one night when I felt I couldn't drink or not drink and had no clue as to what actions to take. Billy's father's name was Bob A., and I shared that I knew that he was in AA from his son's stories in class. A helping hand is what I needed, and Bob A. was there to take me to a meeting of AA. I still remember how scared I was to walk down those stairs into that smoky church basement. Halfway down the stairs, I thought, I heard halfway down the stairs, I heard the laughter. And when I entered the room, I saw people that looked like me. The meeting became my home group 
And many of those people in that room that were at my first meeting helped me for many years by sharing their experience, strength, and hope week after week. Many of them are still sober today. That was truly, quote, hanging with the winners, unquote. Fast forward to today, I have 30 years sober and I have retired from teaching with a pension. Bob A is still my sponsor. Oh, that's nice. My children and grandchildren get to see me joyous and sober. My sponsor was 45 years sober, has 45 years sober, and his sponsor has 55 years. Bob's direction, together with working all three sides of the triangle most of the time, has provided me with a joyous life and the chance to sponsor many others, some of them teachers. I've even been in meetings with former with my former students in AA meetings. Those times that I only rely on, those times that I only rely on the fellowship and not participate in steps 10, 11, and 12 have produced those old feelings of fear, anxiety, and resentment. Occasionally, even with 30 years, half measures avail me nothing. Thank goodness I rarely forget to use all three sides of the triangle so my life is blessed with the feeling of being comfortable in my own skin. The unity at the meetings, the service of the sponsorship, and the recovery through prayer and meditation have been the only path that has worked for me. I am grateful and blessed that a sixth grader named Billy was so honest and open and that his father, Bob A., has always been there for me and others as a great example of how the steps and action actions in AA can change our perception of the world and save many thousands, I would say, millions probably, Bill. But anyway, many thousands of lives. Bill P. from Waukesha, Wisconsin. Thank you so much, Mr. Bill P. for writing in with that story. I sure do appreciate it. All right, everybody. That takes us through another week. God bless you all. Love you. Please stay healthy. Please stay safe out there. Um, just be sensible, just be smart about what you're doing. I'll try to do the same thing because I'm not always a real smart person when it comes to doing the next right thing, but we'll hang in there one week at a time, one day at a time, uh, throughout this entire crisis. And, uh, anyway, I think I'll be back next week. I always say that, uh, I'm in this for one week at a time. Uh, love you guys. Um, Keep coming back. It works if you work it.